those of you watching online, welcome. Glad that you're with us. Um, we are in week four of this 40 days of prayer. Uh, and something I just, as we said that prayer this morning, just wanted to point out to you, and we'll get to this uh, in a couple weeks, but something maybe uh, that's just been rattling around in my brain, maybe that would be good to share with you. But I don't know if you noticed, but at the end of that version of the Lord's Prayer, which is the ESV translation, uh, the, the petition is to deliver us from the evil one. Not just deliver us from evil, but from the evil one. Uh, and the reason that that's uh, probably a more accurate translation is that there is an enemy that we have. Uh, and he is a person, uh, the, the personification of evil, and that is our enemy. And so just want to kind of leave that in your mind for a couple of weeks as we uh, lead up to the closing of that, because uh, Jesus has overcome. Uh, and so one of the schemes of our enemy uh, I think, is to push us into this spirit of unforgiveness that we're going to talk about this morning in bitterness. Uh, so that's kind of why those dots connected for me, even in just the last 30 seconds or so. Uh, but I just want to remind you of a couple things. Number one, there's a bunch of resources for you at cmalliance.org slash 40 days. Uh, if you didn't get one of the devotionals, there's still a couple on the uh, printed on the resource uh, center out in the lobby. You can grab one of those. Uh, even if it's the very last couple days that you join in on this 40 days of prayer, that's better than no days. So I want to just encourage you, the invitation is just open. And then the last thing is that on Thursday night, February 9th, um, you can participate uh, in the uh, live stream prayer event that's happening. And there's a prayer event every Tuesday night during this that you'll find at that link I shared a minute ago. Uh, but Thursday night, February 9th, there's kind of a big all-alliance uh, prayer gathering that's going to be live streamed. I don't think any of us are ready to take a road trip to Ohio to go to the in-person one, but maybe a few of us might want to gather at a house or two uh, to stream that event. So if you're interested in that, I'm not going to put a sign-up sheet or anything, a little more informal. Come and talk to me, and we will maybe do something at the Parsonage together uh, that Thursday night. It's February 9th. So um, just want to let you know about that. You can also just stream it online at your house as well uh, or wherever you happen to be. So uh, as we've done for the last uh, number of weeks in this series, we just did the reading, as I said, of the text for today. So it's um, from the book of Matthew. Um, and that is uh, the Lord's Prayer that we uh, have been looking at for the last number of weeks. And so we're going to continue to do that together in this series. Today we are going to look at um, this kind of idea of forgiveness. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven those uh, who, are, who have debts against us. Um, I think I said that backwards, but you've said it enough times, I think you know what I mean. Um, so how many of you have ever come across a person uh, who is just kind of a bitter, angry person? Like that's kind of who they are, right? Uh, maybe they're kind of known as like a grouch. Um, maybe Oscar the Grouch comes to mind. Uh, don't point at yourself. I saw that. I'm not going to say any names, but that was funny. Uh, most often when this is the case, uh, the bitterness um, has a root in that person's inability at some point in the past to forgive someone who has hurt them. Very often that is the root of that kind of uh, uh, identity in a person's life. This unforgiveness allows sort of the seed of bitterness to take root in our hearts and in our minds, and it will turn us inward on ourselves uh, if we continue to feed it. It will turn us inward into the opposite of the kind of people that God desires for us to become. 
And there's two reasons for this. Number one, you don't bring glory to God this way. And number two, God doesn't want you to be tasting bitterness your whole life. Maybe you know a person, right? They are hard. Maybe they're even somewhat mean. They rub everybody the wrong way. Ever met that person? They're like sandpaper, right? If this has gone on for a long time, they have likely uh, destroyed a lot of the, the relationships in their own life. And so what happens is that we give in to the lie from our enemy uh, that unforgiveness is going to make us feel better. That revenge will make us feel better. And so we believe the lie that bitterness and anger and hatred all rooted in unforgiveness will somehow solve the pain that we may have inflicted on us. But if any of those people that you thought of in your life could really be honest with you, if they could take that mask off for just a minute, if they could just for a moment peek out from behind that bitterness that they've been wearing for years, they would tell you, I think every single one, that it hasn't worked. That their unforgiveness and their bitterness has not worked to take away the pain. That pain may be very legitimate. Some of you in this room have a deep wound And maybe you've been walking with it for a long time and you think that unforgiveness and anger towards that person is going to make you feel better. And you know, better than I know, that it's not working. As the the, the old saying goes, right? Bitterness, or in our case, unforgiveness, is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. And so Jesus, in this little section of the prayer, in this little petition, uh, he's going to address this because this section of the prayer not only calls us to forgive, but also calls us to ask God to make us into the kind of people who are free from, listen to this, the slavery of unforgiveness. Unforgiveness is a slavery that you give yourself over to. So this petition not only asks God to forgive us, but also asks God to help make us into the kind of people who are free from the slavery of unforgiveness and who are then able to walk in forgiveness ourselves. And so if we pray this prayer in good faith, and if we pray this prayer seriously, then this little section, this petition that we're going to look at today can kind of be a, a healing ointment, if you will, for a fractured spiritual life and for broken human relationships. I've had this experience in the closest relationships in my life, where I have wronged someone and they have forgiven me on a deep soul level. And the relationship after that moment is stronger than it was before that moment. And so Jesus' second instruction here on how we should pray for ourselves tells us how to pray sort of in two facets, two sides to the same coin when it comes to forgiveness. And so uh, the the section of this prayer from Jesus right now that we're going to look at today is simultaneously two realities. First, It's an explicit prayer for forgiveness, right? Forgive us our debts. Just in case you're not clear on it, the word debts there is sin. You have racked up in your life a unpayable debt of sin that you owe to God. And Jesus is saying the way you want to pray is first in this section to ask explicitly for forgiveness. I have done wrong things, Lord. Forgive me. But this section on forgiveness doesn't stop there. I wish it did, honestly, because it wouldn't be so rough on us as we'll get to. Uh, But it's also an implicit prayer for a forgiving spirit, right? Listen to the assumption in the end of that 
uh, that section, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh-oh, right? Jesus teaches us here that ideal prayer contains a request not only for personal forgiveness, but also a request for a forgiving spirit, that we would be the kind of people who walk in forgiveness. Uh, the great St. Augustine, it's not St. Augustine unless you're talking about the city, it's St. Augustine, okay? Just kidding, there's a debate on that among Bible nerds. Um, but St. Augustine called this petition, this request, the terrible petition. Now, why, why would such a man of God say that a section, not only of the Bible, but of the central teaching of Jesus in his ministry, and then the prayer that Jesus teaches, why would he say that this is terrible? Well, he called it terrible because he realized that if we pray Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors with an unforgiving heart. If you pray this with an unforgiving heart, you are asking God not to forgive your sins. That's terrible, right? Debt means sin. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. Now, again, I love the honesty of the Bible. People are going to sin against you. That's the reality of the world we live in. Jesus isn't telling you a fairy tale. I just want to, again, point this out here, the assumption, another assumption. I always want you to notice the honesty, again, of the Bible in general and Jesus specifically. But again, Jesus is freeing us to, to realize that we don't need to be perfect to call God Abba which is what he called him in the beginning of this prayer. How should you pray? Start by calling God Abba. And then as we get here, Jesus, uh, he, he says that we should pray to this Abba, that he would forgive the sins that he knows we will have committed and that we should also assume that sins will have been committed against us. So Jesus never promised us an easy, always happy life, but he did say that God is your Abba father. That's what he did say. And so some of us, I would venture to say that almost everyone in this room, since the kids are gone, right? Everyone in this room has lived long enough to need to hear this and to be set free in your prayer life a little bit. You don't have to clean yourself up first to come and pray. You come and pray, Abba, Father, forgive me. You don't get rid of that stuff first and then call him Abba. You come calling him Abba and admit that. And so Jesus' assumption that part of your prayer life is first calling God Abba while you have sin to be forgiven of is freeing. He has literally commissioned us. As we saw in the first week, he has commissioned us to call God Abba. He has told us to call him that while having sin that offends our Abba. Like, understand that. He is telling you, call God your dearest father while you have things going on in your life that offend your dearest father. So somehow his love for you is greater than his offense at your sin. And his offense at your sin is great. Don't get that wrong but your sin cannot outdo his love for you. Wow, right? That's a big key to unlock your ability to pray. But now let's make sure we don't miss this either. Because it'd be nice to just amen, God loves me more than my sin, let's go, right? 
But Jesus doesn't want anyone to misunderstand here. And he says, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. And Jesus says explicitly, just a little bit further on in Matthew 6, if you've got it open, you want to scroll down or flip over. In verses 14 and 15, he says this, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. Great. But, and here's the part I wish wasn't in there, but it's in there. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Yikes, right? I don't like that. It's okay for you to read your Bible and go, I don't like that. Now, this might seem like a shocking idea to us, and it is. It does grind against us, but it's nothing new for the hearers of Jesus in in this time, and and when he's uh, saying this as Matthew has it recorded. This kind of thinking about forgiveness was common to Jewish understanding. Uh, There was a Jewish writing of the day called Ecclesiasticus. Uh, It has a longer title, but I'm going to give you that one, Ecclesiasticus. And it says this, forgive your neighbor the wrong he has done, and then your sins will be pardoned when you pray. So this is a, a common Jewish thought of the day. And then to drive home the statement, that book Ecclesiasticus asks three questions. Number one, does a man harbor anger against another and yet seek for healing from the Lord? And the unspoken answer, absurd. Second, does he have no mercy toward a man like himself and yet pray for his own sins? The unspoken answer, absurd. Third question, if he himself, being flesh, maintains wrath, Who will make expiation or restitution for his sins? If you maintain wrath against others for what they've done to you, who is going to forgive your sin? That's what the this author is asking. See, so what we see is that Jesus' words here are right in line with the current understanding of the Jewish people that Jesus lived with. So here's the thing: the New Testament doesn't vary from this either. This isn't some weird new idea. The New Testament doesn't not, not only does it not change this understanding, but the New Testament makes this point itself several times. In Matthew 5, verse 7, Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. What's the implication? A merciless, unforgiven heart will not forgive, will not receive forgiveness or mercy. James 2 says the same thing. Judgment is without mercy. Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Now that line we could do a whole year-long sermon series on, right? Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's the gospel for you in a nutshell. And then of course we have the parable of the unforgiving servant from Matthew 18. One of the most powerful parables that Jesus tells about forgiveness. Jesus tells the story of a servant who owed his master an absolutely astronomical, insurmountable debt, would never be able to pay for it. And he begs for forgiveness and the master forgives the debt. And then what does he do? He goes out and he runs into another servant who owes him a small debt and he is merciless towards him. And if you've heard this story before, you might remember that this parable from Jesus ends. This is a terrifying warning. Listen to this. Matthew 18, verses 32 to 35. Then his master summoned him and said to him, 
You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Now listen to this last line. This is a hard word. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. I wish he would have just said with your mouth. No, from your heart. That's a hard one. So there is no way to get around the reality that Jesus means exactly what it sounds like he means when he says in Matthew 6, 15, if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. This single element of the Lord's Prayer might be uh, one of the single hardest words in the Bible for those of us who follow him. This call to be forgiving is grinding against every piece of discipleship you are receiving from this world. It grinds against all of our fleshly desires to get even and make sure no one gets one over on us. But listen to me, that is simply unchristian. That is unchristian, that desire you have to get even or to make sure nobody's going to pull one over on me. Oh, really? Your sins did some things to the Son of God. And so your desire to be that way is simply unchristian. Listen to this, uh, to, to this word from the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis. He says this, No part of Jesus' teaching is clearer, and there are no exceptions to it. He doesn't say that we are to forgive other people's sins provided they're not too frightful or provided they're extenuating circumstances or anything of that sort. We are to forgive them all, however spiteful, however mean, however often they are repeated. If we don't, we shall be forgiven, none of our own. Sometimes our unforgiving hearts make our prayers die on our lips. The Lord's prayer can be then can, can then be nothing more than a self-inflicted curse, a prayer of doom instead of a prayer of blessing. For if we pray, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors with unforgiving hearts, we are asking God not to forgive us. So let's just say it plainly. If we will not forgive, if we refuse to do the very thing that God has done through Jesus for us, we are not Christians. Again, it's a hard word. It's a scary word, but it is true. When God's grace, when his forgiveness flows into your life, it transforms us into the kind of people who want to forgive. We demonstrate whether or not we have experienced forgiveness by whether or not we will extend forgiveness. So if I refuse to forgive, there is only one reason. If I stubbornly refuse to forgive and there is no part of me that says, ah, maybe I need to rethink this, there is only one reason for that. You are outside of God's grace and are yourself unforgiven. Now, again, we've said it a few times. It's a hard word, but there is one little group of us for whom this is especially hard, and this is me preaching to me now, right? But it's also especially needed if this is the category you find yourself in. For those of us who maybe grew up in the church and who are kind of, we, we're religious 
uh, we're, we're fluent in religious language, right? We know all the answers. We attend church all the time. We lead an outwardly moral, moral life, but we hold a death grip on grudges, right? You hang on to offenses and infractions with a tight grip, and then you pray the Lord's Prayer with your lips, but with your heart, you feed and you nourish an unforgiving spirit then you need to hear this word and take it to heart if that's you. Let it break that heart of stone that's going on in you right now. Now, after that hard word, everybody take a breath. It's going to get better now, okay? Here's what I'm not saying. I am not saying that if you have practiced forgiveness towards someone and then bitterness and hatred just pop up out of nowhere, right? Because that happens. You just, out of nowhere, something makes you remember something and you, ugh, right? I'm not saying that if you've practiced forgiveness and then that thing happens, that you are in the wrong. This is going to happen. This isn't what Jesus is getting at. The fact that you've forgiven and continue to forgive or even continue to want to forgive is a sign of the transforming work of God's forgiveness in your own life. So we're not talking about people who are struggling with forgiveness, or we're going to be talking about every Christian who's ever lived. I'm also not talking about those of us who have maybe just recently received a deep wound. Maybe you've received a very deep wound and you haven't even had the time to process it yet. Maybe you haven't even had the time to confront whoever the wound came from. And so the call to forgiveness is not the call to just blindly accept, hear me, abuse and mistreatment. That's not what we're talking about either. And so if you're in the process of dealing with the pain and you're struggling, you're asking Jesus for his power to bring healing so that you can finally find the ability to forgive with your heart, you are walking in the spirit. That is what you should be doing. So be encouraged in that, even in the middle of that pain. This hard word is really for those of us who think that we're following Jesus, but who actually have no desire to forgive. It's for those of us who have hardened our hearts who are in soul danger. And so if we're Christians, we can and we will forgive, and if we won't, then we're not. Now, this section of the Lord's Prayer not only helps us to understand whether or not we're believers, right? It can be a diagnostic help. But if we are believers, it helps us to also monitor our own spiritual health, right? If we're honest, we all we all have an unhealthy tendency to be more conscious of the wrongs done to us than the wrongs done by us, right? And if you're like, no, not me, let me ride in your car with you for a week in rush hour traffic and let's just see, right? Someone doesn't use their turn signal and kind of slightly cuts you off. How dare them? What a wicked, evil driver they are. Take their license. You cut across four lanes of traffic because you don't want to miss your turn. Everybody calm down. Right? It's not a big deal. Right? Now, that might be kind of an extreme, funny example, but take that from the road to relationships. Right? When others get hurt by us, oh, they're just too sensitive. Oh, they're just sensitive. Come on, man. But when we're hurt, oh, it's the worst offense that's ever happened. The person who did it is a wicked, evil person. I can't even believe it. Listen to C.S. Lewis again. In our own case... We accept excuses too easily. We give ourselves too many excuses. In other people's cases, we do not accept them easily enough. 
as regards my own sins, it's a safe bet that the excuses are not really as good as I think. Your stories to yourself about your sin are lame, right? That's what he's saying. As regards other people's sins against me, it is a safe bet that the excuses are better than I think. And this way of living will take, toll, take a toll on your relationships, most often the relationships that are closest to you that you most value. The, the speed at which you take offense and the slowness with which you forgive will strain every relationship that you have, but most often it will strain the relationships closest to you. So, so what does this lead to? See, this is where the mercy of God, even in the middle of the warning of God, uh, shows up about forgiveness. See, unforgiveness will lead to isolation and bitterness for you. And God doesn't want that for you. And sooner or later, you will find that you are in this like downward spiral of unforgiveness leading to isolation and bitterness, which leads you to be more prone to take offense, which leads to more unforgiveness. And now you're in this lonely bitter, emotionally unhealthy place as a person who wonders why they feel so far from God. But but here comes, again, some good news to end with. No matter how far you feel from Jesus, he's never that far from you. Take one tiny step back towards him and you're going to find that he's right there with his arms open, ready to give you the very forgiveness you don't seem to be able to give anyone else. That's how it works with Jesus. You can run a million miles away from him and as soon as you start to turn your shoulder back to him, he's right there. He's never far from you. Here's the most incredible benefit if you will, to becoming a person of forgiveness. We are never closer to God or more like God than when we forgive. You are never more godly than when you forgive. When we forgive, we're operating in the same spiritual power that allowed Jesus himself to pray, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do while he was hanging on the cross for your sins and for my sins. How many of you have heard that little phrase, to err is human? You've heard that phrase, right? Now, some of us don't know that's actually part of a couplet, right? It's, it's a poetic tool where there's two lines. And the whole thing goes, to err is human, but to forgive is divine. Understand the power of that reality. If you've ever experienced what it's like to really be able to forgive someone, to really forgive someone, think of how spiritually healthy you were at that time. If you've ever experienced real forgiveness, think about how spiritually and emotionally healthy the person was in that moment who gave you that forgiveness. You are never more noble or healthy or beautiful than when you forgive because it's in that moment when you are closest to and most like Jesus. Augustine said this reflection of the Lord's Prayer is a terrible petition, but it's also a gracious prayer. And it's a monitor for our spiritual health. Are we a forgiving person? 
Because if we are, we are likely a healthy, spiritual, spiritually healthy person as well. So this section of the, this prayer from Jesus, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, it tells us to do two things. First, explicitly, easy, ask God for forgiveness. You need to confess your sins. You do. Jesus is saying this to disciples, right? He's saying this to those who are following him. As the prayer itself admits, we are debtors. We are sinners. Here is something interesting too, though. This request for forgiveness follows the request for daily food in the Lord's Prayer. And there's a bunch of commentators and scholars that would argue that our desire for the forgiveness of God should be equal to or surpass our craving for daily bread, for food. That that's what we want. Why? Because that forgiveness brings us closeness to God, and that's what we ultimately desire. So maybe some of us in here today are like that. You have this deep, soul-level desire to taste forgiveness from, from God for the sins that you know are in you. And if that's you today, then the invitation from God to you is wide open. Come to Him. Not after you've cleaned yourself up, just come to Him now. One of my favorite old hymns, if you tarry until you're better, you will never come at all. So just come to Jesus. His forgiveness is on offer today through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to celebrate remembering that in a little bit when we take the Lord's Supper. And if you have not yet had your debts canceled and forgiven, ask God to forgive you by the grace and the blood of Jesus. The Bible says today is the day of salvation do it now. Do it today. Tomorrow's not any better to get forgiven. Do it now. The second thing this little section of the prayer, this petition does, is it calls us implicitly to forgive those who have wronged us. Who is it that you need to forgive? Is there a person in your life that you have been harboring unforgiveness towards? Right now, if a face just popped into your head, that's the Holy Spirit guiding you. Forgive them and ask the Holy Spirit of Jesus to help you if you can. Because he will. Ask him to give you the desire to forgive, and he will. It might take you some time, but he will. Ask him to make you into the kind of person for whom forgiveness comes easy because you remember how much you yourself have been forgiven. I want to end with these words from Ephesians 4. Listen to these words, church. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted. Tender-hearted. You know who's the most tender-hearted kind of person? Someone who's just been forgiven a real big debt. They're pretty tender-hearted. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your words of instruction and of guidance and of invitation in this prayer. That you're inviting us into what it means to be human. To what it means to be a person who walks with you. Jesus, would you help us to forgive those around us who, who 
we get told over and over in your word are going to sin against us and offend us and hurt us. Thank you, Father, that you've given us your word, which doesn't tell us a lie about what the world is like. You tell us the truth, but then you tell us that you're with us in the middle of it and how to deal with it. So I pray that you would make us a peculiar forgiving people in the middle of a day and an age in which forgiveness is seen as weakness. Oh, Jesus, would you break that in us? That forgiveness would be seen as a strength for us. That we be the kind of people who can humble ourselves, ask for forgiveness when we need it, and who can humble ourselves, put to death our pride that says, no, I want to have this over on you. You've wronged me. I want to have one over on you. Father, we pray against the spirit of that pride and we want to put it to death so that we can say, I have been forgiven much. I forgive you. Jesus, make us into those kind of people so that others would come to know and love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.